Well, a very good morning, church. It is good to be back with you all again and enjoying uh, the time together. We had a wonderful time yesterday celebrating uh, Megan's graduation. And together with that means that it's also been Megan's four years at Daniel Bibles as well. And we're so thankful to you all as a church family for your love to her and your kindness to her over all the years. Unfortunately, she met somebody and she's staying. <laughs> Not everything can be good. So we are, but we are indeed excited for that. You can take your Bibles and open them up to Second Timothy chapter 4. I was... Uh, we're transitioning from ministries. We had been at a church. I had been at a church for 15 years and moving on to a new church and decided to conclude or to spend some time uh, giving a charge to the church before I handed over to a new leadership team. And we spent time, I spent time in Second Timothy, the, the whole book, and, and use that as an opportunity to challenge the church, encourage the church, and exhort the church to, to hold on to that which is most important to them. And I thought that the last of those messages would be an encouragement to all of us, especially as we see the great need for this commodity. In our lives today. In our home we have seven children as many of you know. And as seven children go you know there's always a need for, for, for toys or, or things to play with. Or some new hot fan item that has come out. And we had certain of those toys or certain of those fads. We would purchase them but we would call them as a family Sour milk toys. What we meant by that was, is they're really good at first, but they quickly get old. Those, those toys that are there for a, for a moment, but then they lose their usefulness. They're often inexpensive knockoffs of some really good product. They don't have the same value as the real deal, but they have a genuine temporal purpose. The kids can play with them until they break, which is often very soon down the line. And as you think about those sour milk toys, we begin to ask ourselves, what is it that adds value to those items, value to the commodities? Of course, it's the, the quality of their workmanship, how they have been made. Something made out of soft plastic is not going to last as long as that's made out of the real deal steel. The ability to endure. It's my belief that instead of hiring a whole bunch of people for quality control, They've got to have a couple of five and six-year-olds walk into the room. Let them have at it for a while. And if it makes that, then they're good quality. Move on. 
All the toys have the ability to do what they were intended to do. Many of those sour milk toys that we've purchased ended up being pretty expensive paperweights around the house. Of course, which gives something value nowadays is the good reviews. Other people have it and it's worked well for them. All those things add value to these sour milk toys. But there's something in the Christian life, there's something in the life of the church that is invaluable. And as a result of that value, the commodity that we want to hold on to gives emphasis and gives purpose to all that we do. Paul, the aging, soon to expire Paul, in his last letter to his disciple Timothy, is busy encouraging Timothy in this letter to keep on, to persevere, to, to hold on to that which sets him apart. To, to hold on to that which elevates him in the world in which he finds himself. And Paul does that through Second Timothy by emphasizing the invaluable attribute or the invaluable asset that they have, namely truth. Paul does it in the Second Timothy by focusing in chapter 1 on the pattern of truth. Notice what Paul says. Follow this pattern. Therefore do not be ashamed, he says. But, but follow on this pattern that I have laid down and that Christ himself has laid down. What is that pattern? Paul tells us that pattern is holding on to truth. In chapter 2, he reminds his son in the faith that there is this priority of truth. He says, don't quarrel about words that, that, that do no good. But, but do your best, he says, to, to present yourself to God as one approved, a, a worker that does not need to be ashamed Rightly handling the word of truth. Timothy, if there's anything people need you to know, if there's anything that you need to talk about, if there's any wisdom you have, make sure it's the truth. Because this is our priority. This is all we have. In chapter 3, he drives home that, that this should be our purpose in everything we've done. He says... You, I ever have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in my life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. Verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. Timothy, make it your priority. Make it everything you need, all that you have. In, in a culture that we live in, and, and the culture is no different 
in West Virginia as it is in South Africa. We have a culture that is quickly falling away from the truth. A culture no longer has a handle on the truth. We struggle to find out what this truth is. And Paul drives home for Timothy in the fourth chapter of here the value of truth. And it is an immeasurable value in our own current environment. An environment in which truth no longer has any value. Truth today is based on what the popular opinion is what the culture defines truth as. It's important for us believers, it's important for the church to be reminded of the real, majestic, eternal value of truth. You see, when something loses value, it's, it's easily tossed aside. But, but once we, and if we continue to understand the immeasurable value of something, we, we hold on to that so much more tightly. We, we hold on to it with great passion. Churches today across the world have, have placed a value on some commodity other than truth. We have a denomination in South Africa that has placed a higher value on unity than it has on truth. Let's, let's minimize truth so that we can be united. Churches have minimized truth to have an influence in the community. If we can only influence the community, then we'll be of value. But let's not focus too much on truth. Or, let's make it all about church growth. And if we can grow our church, that's of greater value than truth. But the one commodity that we have, the one commodity that we must hold on to, the, the one commodity that we must have above all other commodities is a real understanding of the value of truth. It's one thing for the world to devalue truth as we know it. But it's so much harder when the church devalues truth. This morning I want us to see three aspects of truth in this passage. Three aspects of truth. That show us or give us this great value of truth. So that we can be those that hold on to truth. In all that we do. In every area of our life. I truly believe if we keep these aspects of this truth. Of this value of truth in our minds. It will never ever depreciate. Like those sour milk toys. It will continue to have value. 
Read with me in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul, the aging Paul, writes to his son in the faith in this great pastoral letter. Paul chapter 4 verse 1. I charge you in the presence of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having their itching ears, they will accumulate themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you... Always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith, the henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You for this reminder in the passage. And I pray, Lord, that we would be those that hold on to the truth as defined by you. And that truth will be our guide in all of life. Increase this morning in our hearts an understanding for the value of truth. Christ, we pray. Amen. I wanted to go through this passage and just give you three different aspects of the truth as we try and understand the value. And the first of those aspects is the truth's judge. Notice how the passage charts in chapter 1. I charge you. I charge you, it's one Greek word in the text, and it's, I solemnly charge you. I, I exhort you with great seriousness. It's as if Paul's voice goes ever so slightly softer. And he makes eye contact with Timothy. And he looks at Timothy and says to me, says to him, Hear me well. Timothy, this is of great importance. I charge you. I exhort you. He slows down so the seriousness can be heard. The seriousness can be understood. But it's not so much the charge. You'll get to the charge later. If you wanted to kind of pack this down, it's verse 1 says, I charge you, verse 2, preach the word, and then verse 4, and, or sorry, verse 5, you be 
And he gives you those characteristics. That's the charge. Preach the word and live according to the word. But what he does is he does this charge is he drives home in the presence of whom the charge is given. He reminds Timothy, I charge you, but Timothy, it's not in my presence that's important. Timothy, I charge you in the presence. And then he gives us this overarching understanding of who the judge is. One of the things that that differ in South Africa and America is the judicial system. In, In America, when we're in the court situation, the judge alone makes the decision. In, in America, you have the whole jury thing taking place, which makes no sense to the African mind, how you have people that don't really know the law making decisions on the law, but hey, suppose it works out and it's in the Constitution, we'll hold on to it. But have you ever seen what takes place in the court? They call a witness up to the stand... And in the olden days, I'm probably they still do it right now, they, they would take the witness and they say to him, do you solemnly swear to tell the truth, nothing but the truth? Which, which I always laugh at and chuckle at. The guy would say, no, I, I promise you I'm going to lie the whole time. But then they say to him, do you swear to tell the truth? And then what do they make him do? They put his hand on the, the Bible. Why doesn't they just say, you know, in, in, in the presence of this jury, you promise to tell the whole truth? Or in the, in the presence of, of the judge, do you promise to tell the whole truth? Or in the presence of your own conscience, do you promise to tell the whole truth? That's not enough. So help me, God. They, they call on a greater audience. Because they say that he knows your heart. And he alone knows the truth. And that's what Paul does here. Paul drives it home and says, Timothy, I charge you. And then he begins to layer this great audience. I charge you in the presence of God. Not only do I charge you in the presence of the author and the creator of all life, Not only do I charge in the one who has alone determined truth. Not only the one who reigns over all. Not only the one who has clearly told us how to live. Not only in God's presence, Timothy. But he he drives it home and says, And of Christ Jesus. Our Savior. The one who died on the cross to save you from your Sins, the very consequence of untruth. Remember, it cast our minds back to the garden. The, the lies that Satan told that Eve listened to and capitulated, God promises that he's going to one day send a savior, a seed of Eve, who will crush the head of Satan and will crush untruth. He will deal with the great liar through his truth. I charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. And the one who died was buried and is resurrected and then will ascend 
victorious, I charge you in His presence. The one to whom every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. <laughs> that should be enough. Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus and that should be enough. But Paul says, hold on. There's more. <laughs> There's more. I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead. The ultimate judge. No matter who you are. No matter what you have done. God and Christ Jesus will be your judge. The judge of all living and dead. Turn with me quickly in your, in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12. As I was studying through this portion of scripture, this, this stood out for me as well. Chapter 12, verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. Verse 33 of chapter 12. For the tree is known by its fruit, you brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of your heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of the good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. Verse 36. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified. And by your words you will be condemned. Their the, the idea is there is that that, that our speech, what we say, how we live our lives, the decisions we make, all of those characteristics of our lives point to our salvation. And God knows. God knows our heart. He says, living the dead. The, the world has their own way of judging, their own way of adjudicating wisdom. The, the world tells us today what is wise and what is unwise. But at the end of it all, we don't really care what the world judges to be true or not true. Because there's one judge. He judges all things. And ultimately to this judge, all of us will, will give an account. I think sometimes we take this wisdom that we have or this world's wisdom and truth and at some stages like that six-year-old that comes to their parents, the six-year-old that's currently lying in the bed and they've got a cast on their broken leg and the six-year-old is explaining to the parents the great idea they had of jumping off the second story roof with the umbrella. Oh, it made sense to us. It made a lot of sense to us. And there we are as parents thinking, what were you thinking? Really? And that picture is sometimes when the world finally gets to stand before the judge of the living and the dead 
And they say, Lord, we, this is what we held on to. And God looks at them and says, what were you thinking? This is the judge. Often, what we think is wise is nothing more than foolish pride wrapped up brightly. Then goes on. Doesn't stop there. Says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing and his kingdom. The one who is to judge is, is not as the world would like us to believe, some dead old person or some old archaic book that has since been, since lost its usefulness. No, no, no. We don't understand that the judge in whom we are charged is living. He's alive. And he will come again. He will come back and he will reign. And then with all, we'll all know what real truth is. Truth will be revealed. And all of our pathetic little compromises, all of our pathetic justifications of what we thought was right, all of our pathetic criticism of the truth will be laid bare. Church, let us never forget who judges truth. Let us never forget who gets to judge truth and allow their understanding of truth's judge to impact your valuation of that truth. We live in a world today when truth is a needed commodity. Well, well we have truth. And God alone will judge that truth. We can value unity. We can value impact. We can value growth. But never at the expense of truth. Truth remains. Well, let's look at the second aspect over here. Truth's battle. As I told you right in the beginning, there's essentially two different commands, two instructions. The first one, look at that in verse 2. Preach the word. And it gives you an explanation. Then verse 3. For the time is coming. So there's a command and the reason for the command. And then notice in verse 5. As for you, be sober-minded. So there's a command over there in verse 5. And then verse 6, the reason for the command. So, so as we go through the rest of the passage, we're going to look at the command and the reason for the command. And then the command again and the reason for the command. And when I say command, I mean command. You all got that? Just making sure you're understanding. This is called English. Just so you all. The first command given in the passage is verse 2. Preach the word. Herald. Proclaim the truth. It's more than just announce the truth. But it is explain, expound, and allow all to understand the truth. That their idea goes beyond just make it known. But the idea in preach the word is to take the word of God, the unadulterated truth, and to drive it home into the lives of people so they might know truth. 
preach it. Make sure that the audience, that the people understand the truth of God's word. Notice what it says the subject is. Preach the word. It's articular. It's a specific word. It's not preach a word. It's not preach some subject. But preach the word. Too many men pride themselves on being good speakers without making sure whose words they are teaching. It is a simple task that is also easily ignored by many people. The idea of just being jettisoned. Preach the word, the text says. Be, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Notice that there's, there's no provision in this passage. Preach the word if they accept it. Preach the word if you aren't convicted for it. Preach the word if it's tolerated by the mass of people. Preach the word if that'll give you an audience. No. Simply preach the word. That's all we have. Then it says in ready in season and out of season. I've always taken this passage before studying it in depth as preach the word whether you're feeling ill or not feeling ill. Preach the word if you had had time to prepare or no time to prepare. Pastor, it's your job to always be ready. But, but in the context... In context, it's preach the word when it's accepted or it's not accepted. Preach the word when people want to hear it and people don't want to hear it. Preach the word if it is favorable to the culture or opposed to the culture. We only have one task. We only have one duty. And this is not just for the pastoral Staff, this is for all of us. We only have one duty. To make the word of God known. In such a way that people understand the truth, hold on to the truth, and live by the truth. No matter what season we find ourselves in. Is this not needed for today? Because the world <laughs> wants... Exactly the opposite. Notice the reason. It says, preach the word, then the reason. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. When people will not be willing to hear it. But, but instead of sound teaching, they, they're going to, Gather around themselves, accumulate around themselves, teachers to suit their own passions. They're going to get preachers and teachers and people to tell them exactly what they want to hear. No, no, Timothy, you preach the word. No, no matter what the culture wants. 
Notice what the text says. But instead, they're going to have people to tickle their ears. They're going to have people to preach to their own passions. And then what they're going to do? They're going to, they're going to turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. The idea is that they're going to slowly but surely deviate from the truth and just wander off into the falsehood. Endure. This is not quick, short, easy, acceptable messages. Sound. It's, it's not culturally acceptable truths. Teach. It's not just lay out some ideas or sermonettes. But it's, but it's the idea of preaching so that the culture may understand what the truth is. If there's one thing the church and the world needs today is people that are standing up and saying, Thus saith the Lord. We have one truth. Don't go try and find truth out there. I, I'm not concerned what the culture thinks about the truth. I'm not, I'm not concerned what the culture thinks about what should be taking place. We have the truth. Let's preach it. Let's teach it. In Isaiah chapter 30, the Isaiah writes to the nation, this adulterous nation, of Israel and he says to them in verse 9 for they are rebellious people lying children children unwilling to hear he's not talking about teenagers these are the whole nation just so you know their instruction unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord who say to the seers do you not see or to the prophets do you not prophesy to us what is right speak to us smooth things Prophecy illusions. Leave the way. Turn aside from the path. Let us no more hear the Holy One of Israel. It's as if we're living in a time today when the entire world around us is blocking the ears and saying, we do not want truth. Anything else but the truth. But as believers... Sometimes we need that hard, abrasive wood that is driven into the ground so that we can strap our lives to it and anchor ourselves to the truth. And that abrasive piece of wood is God's Word. It's all we have. If you want to grow straight and you want to grow strong, tie it to the Word. As I said earlier, this, this waywardness can be expected in the world. But what saddens me most is that we see this in the church today. And the church has jettisoned truth. It's forgotten its moorings. And today, we, those of us that, that hold on to the truth, sound like radical bigots to the world. Because for too long, the church has had their ears tickled. Truth has dissipated. Oh, let's hold on to the truth. I've never understood that term, ears tickled. They're wanting to have their ears tickled. Have you tried that? It's irritating. I suppose it's better than having your ears boxed. But hey, they they want sweet little nothings whispered in the ear. Oh, it's alright if you redefine marriage. 
It's, it's, it's alright if you have different views of gender. Oh, that's what love is. That's what love looks like. Let's all just be loving. Come, church, let's all grab hands and we'll all sing Kumbaya together. Because we value unity above truth. Let's make sure that we are known as a friendly, welcoming, diverse church that preaches the word, sticks to the word, makes the word known, drives that truth home. But there's this third aspect. Truth's reward. As I said, the second command in the passage is in verse 5. As for you. Don't be like those who are led astray. This is, this is truth's reward. Truth's reward. We see truth's judge, truth's battle or priority, and then truth's reward. As for you, he says, this is what I want you to be. Always be sober-minded. The idea is you're a clear, clear thinker. One who is not intoxicated by the things of this world. One who is single-minded and holds on to the truth. You, Timothy, my son in the Lord, always think clearly as to the truth. Not only that, Timothy, endure suffering. Listen, we are going to go against the world and the world's going to bring the heat. We're busy transitioning from South Africa to America. And I tell my folks that when I come to America to be a preacher and a pastor, I am more likely going to end up in jail than I will in my own country because of the hatred of the truth. But you're going to be held up in endure suffering. Stay the course. And notice this is not only for the individual but this is for the church. Church, stay the course. Do the work of the evangelist. Share Christ as we hold on to the truth. In an ever tolerant world, we get the platform to preach the gospel. Folks, you understand this as a church? Not only is our hope in the gospel, we, we, have, we have great hope in the gospel because in the gospel we are saved, alone saved. But the great hope that we have is the gospel. And when we lose truth, we lose the gospel. What the world needs to see is not the church tolerating sin, but the church saying we have hope and that hope alone is found in the truth of God's word. Repent. Turn to Him, and He will give you life. That's the, that's the gospel message, is it not? Christ died for your sins. Believe in Him and have victory. And then the last instruction, fulfill your ministry. Run your course. Do what He set out to do. The idea is being true until the end. Don't soften as you get jaded, beaten, Tied up. But complete the race. Finish to the end. Ephesians chapter 2. 
These good works that God has given you. Complete it. Complete the task. Why? That is what Paul says. The reason why Paul gives these instructions. For I am being poured out as a drink offering. Paul's, you know, put it down into vernacular. I'm dying. <laughs> I'm done. I'm finished. My, my end is here. I'm, I'm almost done. I, I, I've reached the end of my ministry. Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I have boxed well. I have run hard. And I've held on tightly. I've done that. Do these things, Timothy, because I have exemplified it. But I don't want you just to follow me because of what I've done. But follow me because of the reward. Notice what it says in verse 8. Henceforth, as the result of that, because I have run well, because I have boxed well, because I have kept the faith, I get to look forward to this great reward. What reward, Paul? This crown of righteousness, which the Lord has laid up for me. The reason why Paul encourages Timothy is because the reward of this truth-led life is an eternal heavenly blessing that surpasses any temporal joy. In, the, in South Africa, I think I've told you this before, there's a race that is run. It's a, a double marathon. I think it's 56 miles, something stupid like that. Called the Comrades Marathon. And I've run it five times. Because I'm stupid like that. And I can run no problem. Everything seems to be going well. Always up until that 65 kilometer, 70 kilometer mark. And, and then I have 20 kilometers still to run. My legs don't want to run. My head doesn't want to run. In fact, nothing of me wants to move forward. But what do we do? We push on. I've done this for the last 70 kilometers. I just got 20 more. Just just push on till the end. Why? Because at the end, if I stop now, I get nothing. There's no reward. And if I carry on another 20 kilometers, I get this small little minuscule medal. <laughs> the smallest medal you'd ever seen. You get to hang that around your neck and say, oh, I've done the comrades. Paul says, run the race, finish a course, get to the end, because at the end of it all, no matter what you've done, if you've been faithful to the word, you get this great truth, which is the crown of righteousness. Who gives it to you? The Lord himself. The Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the glory of that? When all life has passed, when you've done everything, you finish the course, and you get there, and the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, the one who has died for your salvation, the one who has made your life in Christ possible, stands before you and takes this crown of righteousness and places it on your head, and we hear those words, faithful servant you see that's our focus 
Let's not be distracted by the temporal pleasures of popularity. Or the temporal pleasures of, of large churches. Or of things to say. We have one judge. Christ Himself. You see, that's having real value. The fleeting value of earthly praise. The, the, the fleety, fleeting value of temporal popularity. Or the fleeting value of worldly comfort. Oh, if we just soften our message ever so slightly, we'll have more friends. You're going to lose the crown. The external value that Paul ran for is far superior to the one that so many people run for today. You see, this is what it looks like if you value truth. It's what it looks like to have a great value of truth. We, we honor the ultimate judge. We, we discharge well our task. And we anticipate eagerly our reward. Church, this is my prayer for you. This is my encouragement, exhortation to you. Be a church that holds on to that truth. Not only as a church corporately, individually. Youngsters, our, our little ones, our, our teenagers, those that are busy figuring this all out, understand we only have one truth. And that truth drives all that we do. And it is the greatest treasure you can ever have is knowing God's truth. Make that our value, that which we value, corporately and individually. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture, this, this glorious reminder of the value of truth, what it is we have. Father, allow the world not to distract us. Allow the culture around us not to overwhelm us. But Father, make us warriors for the truth. We pray this in His glorious name. Amen.